I want to start this morning in Ephesians chapter 2, if you will, and I wanted to remind you of our subject. We're talking about the new man, and the new man is the church of Jesus Christ. It's also represented as a temple, and the Bible says in verse 15 of Ephesians 2, he has abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of two, one new man, so making peace. And this is very important. So in order for Jesus, God, to have his church, and he represents that as a man, and this is a new man. Since the resurrection of Jesus, something new, someone new has begun to live on the earth. The Bible calls this the new man, the church. In order for God to have that, he had to abolish the law. And the law was fulfilled in Jesus. And when Jesus died, Colossians says, this was nailed to the cross with him. Anything that would be a hindrance in bringing us to God was removed out of the way through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus brought the two together. The two is the Jews and the Gentiles, which has always historically been the greatest demonstration of racism in the world. And Jesus, through his blood, his sacrifice, his resurrection, has conquered racism. That should be demonstrated in the church of Jesus Christ. That everybody becomes one new man. We're all a part of that body. And that body is th fulfilling this purpose. He says in verse 22 of the same chapter, In whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. And so the purpose of this new man, this church, is that God will have a habitation. And the habitation of God is in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now the purpose of that habitation is that God will have in the earth his representation. The Bible tells us this in chapter 3 of Ephesians. And he tells us in verse 10, to the intent that now... Unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so this was God's eternal desire. God has forever wanted his church. He has forever wanted this new man. And now he has the new man because of the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus. A new church. This is what God has been really talking about since the beginning of time. Since the moment that God laid Adam down in a deep sleep and took from Adam a rib and made a woman out of that rib and brought the woman to Adam. And Adam said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She, was, she shall be called woman. And now God set a pattern that we have every time you go to a wedding and you see a marriage. It is a representation of Jesus and the church. Because Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, the whole purpose of a man leaving his father and mother and clinging to his wife is to demonstrate the mystical relationship of Jesus Christ and his church. 
So everything has always been a declaration of God of what he has eternally wanted, which is the church. And you have been very privileged to be a part of it. You have been allowed to come into the church by grace. You have been extended the mercy of God. Everything that God has has been opened up to you. He even allows you to be his bride. He shares everything with you. And so God has always wanted the church. And you, every one of you, your utmost desire should be to give God everything he wants. It should be to serve the Lord in every way that he, that he so desires. And so the purpose of this church is that God will be able to demonstrate his wisdom to principalities and powers. And according to Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10, God will not be able to demonstrate this wisdom without the church. You are necessary if it is going to happen. And because the church is to demonstrate God's wisdom to principalities and powers and authority, we have to have the indwelling Holy Spirit, which is the purpose of the church. And because it is the Holy Spirit that lives in the church, then the church must be supernatural. The church is just not another man on the earth. It's not another institution on the earth. The church is supernatural as the very life of God himself fills the church and operates through the church. And so we're talking now in regards to the new man that the new man is gifted. And so many people, when they come to church or look at the church or join a church, Oftentimes, people have the mentality of viewing the church as an organization. It is an organization that I'm joining. It is a group of people that I'm joining or that I'm belonging to. And that is a faulty understanding of the church. It is not the understanding of God or the Holy Spirit, but it is that thought that has done more damage to the glory of God in the earth, I would say, than anything else. There's nothing going on in the world. There's no movement in the world. There's no group in the world. There's no protest in the world. There's no government in the world that can hinder what God wants to do in the earth. The only thing that can hinder the will or the purpose of God in the earth is the unbelief of God's people, the unwillingness of God's people to be that church and to understand that church. And so God has desired to bring us into this body, into this fellowship where the Holy Spirit can move through every member. Every one of us have gifts Every one of us has been distributed to us the Holy Spirit and the supernatural manifestations of God. And yet church has become so traditional, so regulated, that if the Holy Spirit wanted to move, it would be practically impossible for him to move because of the bondages of religion. You see this in Pentecostal churches all the time. Some of the, some of the Pentecostal churches that I've visited and know of, they're, they're some of the most dead churches I've, I've ever witnessed as far as the Holy Spirit being able to move through. 
And so we have to desire for God to have his way and the leading of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so many people, because they view the church wrongly, oftentimes join a church and attend a church with a very selfish outlook. What does this church have for me? What is the church going to do for me? What does the church offer to me? What do you have for children? What do you have for the aged? What do you have for singles? And everything becomes a self-absorbed infatuation of what is the church going to do for me? And all I ask you to do, guys, is open your eyes and look. Because we live even in the Bible Belt. And we have churches on every street corner in Baton Rouge. And that attitude is not doing a lot for our community. We are behind Mississippi in crime as far as a state per capita. Mississippi leads the way. And because of New Orleans and Baton Rouge and our high crime rates here... We now are with Mississippi. As a matter of fact, Tony Perkins and and Sid Gotro are going to be doing something with the churches in our community so that something can be done about this. And I'm grateful for them doing that. And they've included us to be a part of it. But this attitude of the church, what does it have for me? What does it got for my kids? What does it have for children's church? What does it have for this? What does it have for that? Is the air conditioning nice? Are the chairs comfortable? Is the, is the service going to last just a short amount of time? Because I don't want to spend all day and look at our culture and look at our city streets and look at our school systems and look at the HIV and look at the, the sexually transmitted diseases that are, that are overrun our city in Baton Rouge today, and we would have to conclude that that attitude of the church is not working. So it's not about that. And so church is not about meeting my needs, but it's about having God glorified and the desires of God met in this world today. And so the basis of even looking for a place to go to church or to belong becomes more lined up with the scriptures about the truth of God, the doctrine of God, the presence of God, the person of the Holy Spirit, and how the Holy Spirit is able to move, rather than it is about the church supplying all of my needs and all of my wants. If we went to a church just simply based upon the definition that there are no needs, there are no problems, there are no things, then how would the gifts even begin to function? For example, when you begin to become acquainted with a church and you're ministering in a church, you're living among a church now, and you're getting involved in that church, you are going to experience and witness the fact that there are needs in the church. You're going to begin to see that there are things that the church does not have, and it would be good if it had them. And the purpose of you recognizing needs in the church or things that lack in the church are the things that make way for your gifts. It's not the things that provide you the confirmation that you should leave, but these are elements that God has allowed you to see In order that God can move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit through your life to make that church better, to make that church stronger, or maybe even to provide ministry in the church 
that does not exist right now. And so in order to understand that, if you're going to walk with the Holy Spirit, you can't look at your talents. You can't draw up your resume to God and say, this is my education. These are my talents. These are the things that I'm good at. And so this is how I want to serve you in a church. Because what God wants you to do is God wants you to live by faith. God wants you to live a supernatural life. God wants to do things in your life primarily in ways where you say, I'm not really comfortable with that. That scares me. That makes me nervous. I don't know if I could do that. I would really have to trust God to do that, right? And so these are the things we're scared to do, and we would rather do these things that we have a lot of talent and ability to do. And it doesn't mean that God won't use our talents, and it doesn't mean that God won't use these abilities that we have. But to only think that's my usefulness to God is a great mistake. When we see needs, weaknesses, God is oftentimes talking to us. This is where I want you to serve me in this season right now. And it doesn't mean you'll do it forever. But it just means that you'll do it for that season in your life. And so I want to go into this because in serving God and living by faith... I think there are some things that we need to really understand as far as helping each other. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are to profit the body of Christ. They're to bring benefit to, to one another. The Holy Spirit has given these gifts to men in order that the body of Christ could be built up. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are not bought. They're not earned. They don't come because you have a particular amount of time that you've studied it doesn't come because of personal sacrifice on your part. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are not distributed by God to those that are strong. And the stronger you are, then the more important gifts you're going to be given. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are gifts of grace. That means He gives them how He desires to give them. And you do not earn them, but you do, by faith, have to receive them... And you have to exercise them. God is not going to just manipulate your life to do certain things through you that you are not wanting him to do or you're not believing him to do. That's why Paul said to Timothy, stir up the gift that is in you because it can become dormant in your life through a lack of use. And I would basically say, don't be so infatuated with the various ministry gifts that we lose the preeminence of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let your eyes be upon Him. Have relationship with the Holy Spirit because He truly is the gift. And in the Holy Spirit is the ability to do anything He's asking you to do. And he can do anything and everything through you. Don't limit yourself to think that the Holy Spirit only gives you one gift. Or maybe two gifts. Or maybe three gifts. That is not a scriptural understanding. As a matter of fact, when you read in the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts, and you see the Holy Spirit working through particular people, there are multitudes of gifts in that very moment operating through one individual. It's just the Holy Spirit moving. 
So don't think, well, this is my gift and this is the gift I'm stuck with for the rest of my life. The Bible even says that we should earnestly desire the best gifts. And so there should be a desire in us for these gifts. And especially if they're not earned or worked for, then they're given freely by God. We should be asking God for gifts. Some of you, your homes are in trouble. Your families are in trouble. Your grandchildren are in trouble. Your children are in trouble. Maybe one of the greatest gifts for you is a gift of the word of knowledge. What's going on with my family? How is my family under attack? And the the gift of faith, God, give me the ability to believe you. Maybe somebody in your family is sick and you need the gift of healing. You You need this person healed. Maybe the greatest gift for you in that season is the gift of healing. And you begin to greatly desire that gift. Lord, give me that gift of healing. And and so the Bible tells us to do it. I, I encourage you to do it. And don't think that God just gives you one or two or three of the gifts and that's it, as some may instruct or teach. But he gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we need to encourage the members of the body of Christ to operate in their gifts. We need to encourage that. And when they are doing that, we need to encourage them. We need to speak words of affirmation that helps them continue to walk and understand that I am bringing profit to the body of Christ. The body has to learn to flow together and move together. I'm not one thing and you are another. We are together the body of Christ. The, the church does not happen up here. Church happens among us. If we're in this room or if we're in the rec center or if we're in, on the property, church happens among us. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit are to operate that way. When a person comes to you grumbling or fault finding with another person, don't even get into an argument with them about that. I want you to understand that the beginning of God's spirit moving among a people is when we start caring for one another, not finding problems with one another. One of the great evidences of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is you're beginning to be overcome with this sense of care and concern and desire to encourage and build others up. Rather than tear other people down. Jealousy is the natural response of our, of our nature. And I begin to see God using you. And maybe God speaking through you. Or you know Andrew comes up and preaches a better sermon than me. And now I'm jealous of him. That's my natural flesh. But when my spirit is excited about that. And I want to compliment him. I, I know That's a work of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I want to give my attention to that. And so I would never want to betray the Holy Spirit and wound his body by causing division and strife in his church. I would never want to do that. I would never want to be a part. Not that I haven't been. I've had to repent over that many times in my life. But I just pray that I can mature more to where that does not become much of an aspect of my my life. If our gifts are to profit the body then there has to be a great love for the body, a great desire for the body. If you don't love the body, then you're only going to do what conveniences you for church. And you're only going to do what conveniences you for for other people. But if you have a sincere love, a sincere desire for Jesus and for his body, 
then you're going to want the gifts of the Holy Spirit to move through your life. You're going, when, when, when you see James sitting in that chair because he can't stand up, when, when you remember that he could almost put every key on that keyboard down at the same time with this skill that he had and his gifting to sing and play that key, and now he can't. I'll tell you, you, you can't just watch that if the Holy Spirit's in you and not say, dear God, give us that gift of healing for his life. Or for Hannah Middleton, give us that gift of healing, Lord, that she could get up out of that bed, get up here on this stage with her guitar and lead in worship, God. I mean, how can we just sit back when the Holy Spirit is in us? Does he not care? And the expression of his care, sometimes the only way people know God cares about them is when God is able to express it through you. I don't know how many times Evan and Wendy have brought comfort to people in grief because they actually went there and they saw God in that. And that is just a beautiful thing that is able to be brought about. I would love the church and I would want to love Jesus and I would want to lay myself down for the good of the church and the betterment of the church. So I want to go to James chapter 3. And I just want to talk about this in regards to gifts and callings of the Lord in our life. And this is, a, uh, this is something that I want to talk about because this is a word-based universe. I'll touch on this really quick. This is a word-based universe. God spoke and it was. And so you're going to find in, in creation and in the universe, you're going to, you're going to find this this fingerprint of God, if you will, which is the Word. And to this day, there is nothing that we have ever found in human existence that really brings more comfort or more power than the Word. As a father, you can, you can take your son and you can speak words of cursing over him. And you can, you can damage his life forever. You can also take your son and speak words of blessing over him and build courage and power. It's a word-based universe. There's nothing that can replace the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mimes and dramas do their place, but it's that preaching. It is that word of the gospel that is going to convict people's hearts. And so the word is very important. Our words are very important. James chapter 3, he talks about this. He says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation or judgment. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word... The same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. I, I pray for that maturity in my life, that I would not be able that, that I would be able to live a life that, that does not offend with my words. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great. And are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold a great, how great a matter a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire. 
a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire of hell. That's pretty strong. And it's, there, there, there doesn't seem to be any exceptions to this. If you're a human, the tongue is set on fire of hell. Jesus would be the only human that that would not be true of. And we speak words that, that cause pain and harm and destruction, that divides the body of Christ and brings strife and brings accusations, words that wreck marriages, words that destroy friendships, words. Your, your word is like a spark. Yeah, uh, something probably like that happened in Maui. Uh, some, somebody could have lit it or something, but a spark ends up taking dozens and dozens of people's lives and all of their homes. And the church can be doing so great and somebody could be doing so great in the Lord and just wanting to walk with God and, and live in the Holy Spirit and they're just excited about God and they're, they're walking this way and they're doing all of these things and all of a sudden, you, just you, even if you think you're so insignificant and you think that you don't matter much, if hell is the one fueling your tongue, it's got nothing to do with you. It's what's fueling your tongue. And, and one spark from your mouth could create a fire. It could, as it just says in James, it could change the course of nature. It could, it could turn the whole church. It could turn everything that God is doing and move it in a different direction. That's not good and not profitable. For example, you, you could have a child or a grandchild that, that goes on retreat and they go on retreat and they get touched by God and they're excited about the Lord and, and they come home and when they come home, they're, they're excited about God and they want to serve God and they want to read their Bibles and they want to pray and, and they do all of this and, and yet as a parent, you begin to quickly find out they're not Moses, they, they still got some issues. They, they've still got some rebellious issues. They've still got some attitude issues. They still got, and, and just a little bit of a word. Well, I thought you got right with God on that retreat. And now they're done. Forget that. And that little spark out of you just destroyed what God was doing in their life. It can happen. It's happened multitudes of times. And people that are wanting to serve God in the spirit, people that are wanting to exercise their gifts and stepping out in a little bit of faith to trust the Lord, the negative word could be so destructive. The Bible says in verse 7, and, and I honestly say, I believe, that's, I believe that, that is why, one reason why God gives the gift of tongues, because of this passage, the tongue of man is set on fire of hell. But when a person receives the baptism in the Holy Spirit, they get the tongue of fire that is of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't mean that's the only way they speak, but it does mean that that life is being brought under the control of the Holy Spirit. And the baptism in the Holy Spirit is so very important with speaking in tongues. Every kind of beast and of birds, serpents and things in the sea is tamed and has been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Thank God, God can tame it. With the tongue, 
We bless God. That means we speak well. Even the Father. And with the tongue, we curse men. We, we doom men. Which are made after the similitude of God. There are no exceptions. If you curse men, you are cursing that which is made in the image of God. God hears it. He hears it at your coffee table. He hears it when you're in your car by yourself. He hears it when you're talking with your, with your guys. He hears it. He hears what you're saying about a different race of people or a different socio group of people. He hears it. And he listens to it. And then we're going to come and we're going to bless God with our mouth. And God's going to be fooled by that? No. He hears it. And that's why our tongues are so important as far as the work of the Holy Spirit. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. And my brothers, these things ought not to be. Does a fountain send forth the same place sweet water and bitter Can the fig tree, my brothers, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh? And so it talks about the wise man. Who is a wise man? Dude with knowledge among you, let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work, not the work of the Holy Spirit. It's every evil work. Now, beloved, listen to me. Just look at me, and I'm just going to try to stay here in conclusion. This is so important. I would probably venture to say that... Every one of you wants the Holy Spirit to move in your life. And every one of you wants to have an intimacy with God by the Holy Spirit. And I would venture to say that every one of you would like to see the power of God in your life and in your home and in your friends and in your family and at your workplace. But what is moving in us? Is it the work of the Holy Spirit? Notice this wisdom. Because I would say that this is the primary wisdom that oftentimes operates in believers. It is this worldly wisdom. But notice this, it's very important. Verse 15 does attribute it to wisdom. It is wisdom. It is logical. It does seem right. It does seem the right thing to do. It does seem to be the right thing to say. But the basis of it is that this wisdom is what originates naturally in our flesh, it's our intellect. It's our personal knowledge, our apprehension of things, the way we treat our spouses, the way we treat our children, the way we treat our friends. We feel like we have a right to do it. Sometimes there's an anger in it. Sometimes there's a bitterness in it. Sometimes there's an offense in it. And we think, I have a right to say this. It's right to say it. It's right to go there. It's right to do it. 
Because everything seems to make sense. So I don't play this down in verse 15. There is a wisdom that is operating. It is hard to argue with it. It is hard to say that this is the wrong thing to do. It is hard to say this is the wrong thing to say. It seems right. It seems legitimate. But he says this, which is so important in verse 14. If you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts. And so I have to look at my heart. I have to look at the attitude of my life. What does it work in me? I'm not, as a believer, I'm, I'm not considering or even thinking of the aspect as this demonic. Because many of us and most of us would say, no, the devil's not in this at all. It makes sense. It's logical. It's the right thing to do. But is there strife in my heart? Or is there peace in my heart? Is there envy in me? Is there bitterness in me? And, and maybe this person didn't even hurt me. Maybe somebody else hurt me yesterday. And I've still got this bitterness in me. And I can just sense the fact that my heart is cold and I'm a bit rude. And I'm just kind of acting in that. And so now I'm about to go touch a situation that needs wisdom. And I've got this going on inside of me. The Bible says, don't lie against that. And sometimes we could sit down and, and say, I'm okay to do it. I, I, I'm not bitter. I, I am terrified of people who say they're not bitter. It, it is something we struggle with as humans down here. People that say, they're not, I'm not offended. I'm not jealous. Oh my gosh. I, I want to touch you. I, I, I've never met anybody like you. That's an incredible thing. It is the spirit of Christ that's not bitter. It is the spirit of Jesus. It's God in us that is not offended. And he, he, he even says it in, in chapter 3 verse 1. Because I think it is so important. It says, uh, or, or I'm, I'm sorry, verse 2. In many things we offend all. We offend every body a lot and and so for me to think that i'm about to deal with a situation that needs wisdom and i'm not offended at least i should go search my heart for offense or bitterness or strife or envy that's in and not just lie against the truth and say well i have every right to do it because you just don't know what's going on in my home or what I'm having to bear and what I'm having to go through and what I'm having to carry and all of these issues, you just don't understand. And if you were in my place, you would totally agree with me. That's lying against the truth. There's, I just simply ask you as it comes to this, because he says it in verse 16, where envy and strife is, there's confusion in every evil work. Well, we don't want evil to work, right? We want God to work. We want the Holy Spirit to work. I want the Holy Spirit to work in my workplace. I want the Holy Spirit to work in my church. I want the Holy Spirit to work in my family. I want the Holy Spirit to work in my friendships. And it's certainly that I'm not guilty of verse 13 through 14, because I oftentimes am. 
But I thank God for the following verses. Beginning in verse 17, the wisdom that is from above. It's not from me. It comes from above. This is the Holy Spirit. And chapter 1 of James says, If any of you lack wisdom, ask God. He'll give it to you. Without chastening you, without fussing at you, God will give you wisdom in abundance if you just ask Him. Sometimes... I can't ask God for that wisdom. Sometimes I'm in situations a lot like Jonah. I don't want to go to Nineveh. I know you'll forgive them. I don't want to be nice to them. Because I am bitter. I am envious. And I have to deal with my heart. I have to deal with my life. I hope you're understanding, guys, what I'm saying. That the Holy Spirit can be offended. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. And we cannot just assume, because I was baptized in the Holy Spirit 10 years ago and spoke in tongues, that the only thing that ever works through me is the Holy Spirit. And so he says, and I close and call if you come up. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated. You can talk and discuss easily. Full of mercy and good fruits. Without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust, that war in your members? You lust, and you have not, you kill, you desire to have, you cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet you have not, because you ask not. And so, this is is something that, that turns my heart in regards to the practical functioning in the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you might have done studies or been in conferences on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I would say very possibly, you've never come to James chapter 3 in regards to that. But if the Holy Spirit is actually going to be the one who works among us, And it's not an evil work or a confusing work. We have to be careful how we talk. We have to be careful what comes out of our mouth. We have to be careful about the words that we speak. And what spark is this going to cause in the church? What is this little murmuring that I'm about to do on the phone going to end up in? I can only imagine that if somebody did set those fires in Maui, That they had no idea that over a hundred people would be dead and practically every home burned and every car consumed and all the animals, practically so many that have been burned to death. I can't imagine that the person, if, if, if it were, that started this, 
thought to that degree, this is what's going to happen. And oftentimes in the church of Jesus Christ, that we love so much and we say we love Jesus so much and we love God so much. Sometimes we don't think through, if I say this, what's the end? What's it going to do? And so it's better to go sit before God, examine your heart, dig out the dirt, and ask God, would you give me wisdom, peace, let me be a peacemaker, would you give me gentleness, would you do that in my life, because that is the working of the Holy Spirit, that's the wisdom from above, and that is necessary in regards to the working of the gifts of the Spirit. Father, I thank you this morning that you have given us the Holy Ghost and you have come to control our tongues and our attitudes and make the church beautiful, make the people of God beautiful, and that we could help and support and build one another up, God, in the exercising of their gifts. I just want to give you a moment this morning to just ask and believe God. You know, sometimes we come to the realization that what I spoke was right, but it wasn't right that I spoke it. And even if we have caused damage through turning to God and repenting, God can repair the damage. Sometimes these are absolute miracles when he does. But God can repair the damage done. He can restore. He can redeem. Praise God. There's wisdom. There's situations that you're in. You need the wisdom of God. You don't need logic alone. You need the wisdom of God. God will give this to you if you ask him. So I'm going to give you a moment just to ask God for that wisdom of the Holy Ghost and that peace of the Holy Ghost in your spirit.